0: welcome to pickle me this the officially unofficial podcast for rick and morty on cartoon network's adult swim i'm your host jim and i'm aaron you can subscribe to the show on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts today we're covering season two episode nine look who's purging now here's aaron with the recap
1: Rick needs to make a quick pit stop to an alien world to refill his windshield wiper fluid. Coincidentally, this planet is about to begin its annual orgy of violence called The Festival, where they suspend the normal rules of society and give in to their murderous impulses for one night only. Morty prevails on Rick to save an innocent girl caught up in the violence, which only embroils them in a class war that has raged for thousands of years, pitting the poor of the planet against each other while the wealthy and powerful manipulate them for their own benefit. Meanwhile, Jerry harasses Summer for Dial-A-Friend money. All right, Jim, what did you think of
0: Look Purging Now? This is a pretty straightforward, simple episode, but I actually like it a lot. Uh, I, I feel like the concept of a purge is one that inherently speaks to me, both on like how satisfying it must be for the purgers, Uh, But just how fucked up the concept is in general Mm -hmm. um, from all angles. And so, you know, this is this is nothing new. Obviously, there is a movie series about this exact thing, which they're playing off of. But it's a lot of fun. And when you get to the end of it, I I don't know. I would like someone to explain to me how this episode gets TV 14 and the previous one is TV MA. I thought the same thing because the fuck are we doing in our society? Is it is it the penis talk? Uh huh. Is that what is that what does it? I feel like it's the... Maybe it's the... Like,
1: it, yeah, like, how is... Maybe the only thing more graphically violent was when a man peels his own skin off in the mm-hmm. first episode, or the, the previous uh, Interdimensional Cable episode, because, yeah, I had the same thing in my notes. Like... I there the, the the standards and practices seem like they're pretty fucking arbitrary. Yes, and well, I mean, we know it is. Like, a, what's the difference between PG thirteen and an R movie? One extra F
0: word. It's whether like, or not Steven Spielberg
1: is making the movie. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> like, hey, if I make an R at Indiana Jones, it'll kill the market. Can we? Is there wiggle room
0: for uh you know
1: like an R light? Yeah, sure, Steven. <laughs> uh, y- yeah, because this is the the. I in fact I think there's more gore in may, yeah. and it's it's just as graphic. I mean people get disembowelled, they get their uh holes blown through their head, they mm-hmm. get emulated, they get chopped up and ground. Um maybe the other difference is like uh d- d- there's like antagonist versus protagonist. It's not quote unquote senseless violence. <laughs>
0: okay, sure. But like violence if, with if, a meaning.
1: if the protagonist and antagonist are all this underclass that's being manipulated by the rich and powerful then like I, yeah, I don't know justifiable I, violence. Yeah, I can't, I can't figure out the the American mores around sex and violence and and make that, them that's make
0: why sense. I'm convinced it's a talk of penises. Like you, mm. you can't, you can't mention penises
1: or alien pornography. Yes, like like when Jerry, they had that brief scene of him watching alien porn. Like some say, it's like, well, you know, maybe some Zarfleblaf is watching this, and it's going to this is this is super. Super suspect. Cover. I I don't know how old those alien amoebas are. Does anyone have documentation on how old these alien? <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. It may, may yeah. be because like yeah, it seems like sex is way easier to get to the TVMA than it would be right. for for violence. But uh, yeah, purging. I I too liked it for a lot of the same reasons. Um, it's just I think awesome like wa- like like there there is something true about like what rick says at something uh, you know like when he, he is initially he's just defending himself and this this woman mm-hmm. and morty but like you can tell like it's like hey you know murdering people is fun if you're like morally justified
0: okay yeah
1: <laughs> i mean kind of like in those same ways like i you know i played paintball it's super mm-hmm. fun like simulated murder is fun. like if you knew there's no way in hell you would ever get hurt and you're completely justified in doing it uh, maybe you would, you, but it's like the whole arc that he goes through where it's like, you know, he's repulsed. He's, he's excited. He's repulsed. Mm-hmm. He's excited. He was repulsed. He gets his filled. Then he's like, ah, why not? Like it's, there's something interesting about man's capacity for violence that they're saying about this here.
0: Yeah. I find it interesting too, that he's so like gung ho about this in the beginning, like very excited. And he's trying to get Morty more into it throughout the episode. And then when Morty finally does go over the edge, he takes it too far for mm. rick and rick's right. like oh come on you're just right. shooting corpses like it's it's not that rick gets like disturbed or upset by it but he's like oh, this is just gratuitous well i think i think the hot take is the reason morty the, the, when
1: morty went too far is when he's going to try, try to purge rick okay you know it's like when uh, he's going to take his power arm and he's like okay you got we got to put you down little guy cuz like i i you know rick might be disturbed or whatever by his grandson butchering a bunch of these primitive planet types but don't know that he goes, wades in and like plays referee until and, and he's like, you know, then I, let me tell you something old man's been a long time coming, which I thought <laughs> was interesting. It's, it's a call back to the, the uncertainty, you know, it's like, Oh, it's like, uh, sit sit down. I'm going to, I'm going to explain why
0: you guys are equal pain and asses. This has been a long time coming. Yeah. I thought that was pretty funny too. Uh, I guess my natural follow up question is why does Morty break in this episode? Cause it, it happens when, you know, he pushes this guy down the stairs uh, and he, he, accidentally kills him sort Mm -hmm. of accidentally Mm -hmm. and then morty just goes all in what pushes him to that over that edge
1: well it's funny because obviously the episode wants you to think that it's the candy bar like when you watch this multiple times you realize like the old man is like got this kind of like sly look on his face as he gives away the free candy bars yeah and then morty you know is kind of mild-mannered but clearly irritated by this guy's story but he, and he's also kind of bored so he pulls out one of the purge candies and starts eating it and then you know rick tells us but then they have the you know smash cut at the end i so it's interesting anything on rick and morty uh can be deadly serious you know mm-hmm. like rick's suicidal ideations and tendencies yeah but it also can be played off for kind of laughs you know the whole um it's kind of tropey that uh you know, having... Like, for example, I was just watching... I, I'm I'm watching Star Trek. What do you want from me? I'm going to continue <laughs> to make... Uh, but the one where, like, the collector kidnaps Data, you know? Okay. And at the end, uh, Data has his Varan T-Phaser, and he's got it pointed at the guy, and he gets beamed at the last second, and O'Brien makes a comment about, oh, this weapon was in a state of discharge, and, you know, they it and, and Riker asks Data about it. He's like, oh, it must have been a, well, a weapons malfunction or something. Mm. It's like this thing It's like, you know, Data doesn't have any kind of emotional stakes in this thing like w- he wouldn't kill someone in cold blood but they play with him having to do that and then they give like this kind of plausible deniability mm-hmm. it's like uh touching on that trope like morty is this kind of you know henpecked, put upon guy but and and we totally body who would break but also there's this candy but also there's not like
0: yeah, is the episode it, tells you that it could be, but then it tells you it's definitely not. Yeah, it's so all free. So is that
1: something we're supposed to take to the bank about Morty's character, or is that like something that Rick and Morty is doing for like fun? Like, like you know when when Jerry expresses dismay at uh, Jerry and Morty express dismay at them perhaps getting switched up at the Jerry Barie, mm-hmm. like how deep do you want to go in that rabbit hole do you want to found a whole bunch of like oh we're living in an alternate dimension or do you want to be like oh this is just kind of funny because jerry's a pathetic dude and he's kind of disposable yeah interchangeable rather uh-huh uh so i don't know where do you where do you stand on it
0: i i think the latter uh, i think i i think it's probably just a joke mm-hmm. um that they wanted to make and i i guess i'll leave it at that but in my opinion like some of the reason that morty breaks is also just like a is this what you want kind of attitude toward mm. toward rick it's like right. okay rick you keep pushing me in this direction you keep pushing me you keep picking at me is this what you want and he just goes he takes it further than even rick would have taken it you know
1: well it makes you also start questioning like we don't know what rick was like as a younger man um yeah. you know we get hints across the series and there, there'll be more to come but You know, ultimately, is it possible that he is a Morty type, and the the repressed kind of frustration and rage he felt towards society was kind of channeled into his like universal nihilism, where he can. Fuck up the lives of seven billion people and be like, oh well, move on to the next planet. Like, are we starting to see a little bit of that streak and that that little bit of that gene in his DNA starting to express itself? Those proteins are starting to unfold Could in be. in weird mutated ways.
0: Uh, yeah, they're definitely broadening his his range.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, which you know, that's that's it, it's interesting because like you'd think that would be kind of scary for for Rick, but I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. not because like rick doesn't think his own behavior is a problem so
0: yeah i I question whether he even notices it happening Hmm.
1: it does seem like he is but that's the thing like he makes these statements about gee morty you should chill but it's almost like he's doing it in kind of like a mock way to like um to needle morty about his uh, his original like moral reticence to do violence and there's that scene where you know there's this whole uh the horde of these farmer villagers like coming towards them. is like, come on Morty you got to you got to purge we're gonna we're gonna get killed and Morty's mm. like ah, oh, we come in peace and Rick's like Jesus Christ like <laughs> I think there's a little bit of him needling uh, Morty in that direction
0: yeah and I think when Morty breaks some of it is also just trying to show Rick sort of how easy it is to live with his worldview mm. like okay if you don't care about anything and nothing matters and you're willing to kill at the drop of a hat that's so fucking easy that's so easy, and to live as a decent human being as Morty does is really fucking hard. Yeah,
1: um, where's so? There's also this interesting scene in the beginning where you know he's kind of fucking with Morty about the sundown and like, oh, look, let's let's admire the sundown. Through. He gets, <laughs> he's taunting him a little. Yeah, like hey, you know, uh, taunting him with the purge, and he eventually goes and, and like watches a little bit of the purge, and then he, I guess, says that he gets his fill or his eyes are too big for his purging stomach or whatever. And they take off. Where do you stand on like watching people die?
0: Cause there's like whole, <laughs> I, I am the guy who does not watch those videos on YouTube. I don't either.
1: Like I've, I've seen a couple, like I've seen mm-hmm. a couple like in my younger days where it's like, Oh, this politician is going to commit suicide. And like, even that one was fairly tame. And I'm just like, I didn't like how
0: I felt after I watched it. Uh, I, I'm so much like that. I, I used to skateboard. Uh huh. And I can't watch videos of people getting hurt on skateboards. Interesting. I actually can't watch videos of people getting hurt at all. It yeah. just... There, there's something in my core that does not let me enjoy that.
1: But it's weird because a lot of my friends, like... um I don't know if we're the first generation that had easy access to this, probably. But, you know, the before mm-hmm. you had the Internet, you had the Faces of Death sure. videos. And a lot of that stuff was, like, bullshit. But, like, I was a sixth grader at the time, and I know that that was not what people were saying about it. That's not how people were feeling when they were watching it. Uh-huh. And I remember thinking, like, as my friends were getting kind of abs- maybe uh, an a, but, you know, they're working their way through Faces of Death one through six. I'm like, y'all going to be serial killers. <laughs> Like, I'm keeping my eye on you, Brian. Yeah. Uh, and I've kept in touch with them. And they seem to be completely normal people. I and mean, now you've got, like, millions of people. There's whole Reddit communities around it. There's whole forum communities where people just, like, literally are watching people die. And, like, it seems like there's a lot of different reasons they do it. Like, obviously, some people are, I don't know, fucking weirdos. But also, Very there's... morbid
0: curiosity is certainly a thing. morbid curiosity.
1: Yeah. There's also, like, where... Because a lot of the utility, I guess, of watch people dies is kind of like a, a training simulator like oh shit this is how you know this is why you don't follow too close to like, a okay. truck hauling lumber this is uh-huh. why you don't uh you always wear a face shield when you're grinding heavy metal this is why like you know there's almost like a uh it, it's it's like learn from other people's mistakes kind of thing yeah um
0: so i but i don't know the, the I, so i watched part of one of those tapes yeah and it scarred me. I still remember a, a body that they dug out of a river uh, that I just, I, I can't watch that. I so, can't look at it. So, 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 but, but there's a distinction between reality and fiction mm-hmm. and I can watch people die in movies all fucking day, mm-hmm. not have a problem with it. Yeah. If you knew The it gruesome was, it, the better,
1: if you know, it's not, if you know, it's not real. But what I was yeah. saying is like, it doesn't seem like there's any correlation between like psychopaths and people who watch this shit, or at least yeah, yeah. I'm not that I'm aware of. Um, and like, you and I both said that we felt sickened when we kind of watched this content, if we push through, cause I, I felt the same way when I first started watching horror films, okay. I feel like you can mm-hmm. desensitize yourself to that. Probably. And then I, I've also heard from like, uh, in some of these threads where people are discussing the morality of this, like paramedics and cops and soldiers. They're like, look, it's, there's even a difference between watching this shit on like, you know, YouTube and like seeing it in real life. Cause you've got oh, the smells, you've got the sounds, you've got all this other stuff. And I'm like, I, so I don't know. It seems like you can desensitize. It's, what you're doing is you're desensitizing yourself to media portrayals of gruesome death. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I don't know. I, 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 what I'm saying is I guess there's no evidence that people are cra- crazy suicidal
0: maniacs if they, in, if they enjoy this material. And certainly not if you're watching The Purge. Like, I don't think anybody who's watching it is crazy or serial I thought there was a documentary or... about Ethan Hawke. <laughs> <laughs> he invented the the idea. Yeah, yeah. Tested it in his in his neighborhood for I a little mean, yeah, while. He it lives went in over a tough neighborhood. Well. No one complained. And... Yeah, no one was left to complain. <laughs> yeah, that's that's literally true. <laughs> uh, so okay, so the concept of the purge in this is sort of portrayed as something that the the upper class does to keep the poor people divided, mm-hmm. fighting amongst themselves, um, and complacent the rest of the year. So. So basically they're they're taking all of the rage that they would feel against the unjust conditions mm-hmm. they've been subjected to um, and might otherwise take out on the rich class and they're stuffing them into a single day where they can simply hole up in their castle and party. Right. Uh, that's basically the entire reason that it's happening here. And it's probably an economic reason too.
1: Like if you get rid of a certain percentage of the planet's population through wanton murder and destruction, then there's fewer mouths to feed, there's fewer houses that need to be housed there's like probably other and and that, that 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 uh gap between what these people would would consume there's a darwinian
0: element to it is that what you're saying like no not Dar- darwinian more of like okay you got a
1: hundred mouths you got a hundred people that have to be fed uh-huh. or they starve to death and that starvation would be probably eventually that rage would be focused on the people that are not starving if you keep the planet murdering a certain percentage of it's like you're converting that, those, that, that resources are still left over. And I bet those resources get shunted to the rich. Oh, like, Cause yeah. I was trying to figure the first, you know, the first time I started watching this shit, it's like, you know, it's like, oh, it's, it's just an entertaining episode, but then I got a podcast about it. And I'm like, shit, I actually got to think about why this works. Cause like first, my first thought is like, why do the rich people benefit from staging this thing once a year mm-hmm. and my my thought was like it was like an economic benefit like they can't they don't have any answers for like how to take care of these people, so they they gotcha. they eliminate them uh a certain percentage of them, and that keeps the system going
0: but it sounds like you had a different and take and on it gives it. sort of an adrenaline rush to the. The rest of the people who survive, right. it's like a it's makes like them a, feel it, good it, for the it's next year. Economic policy, it's bread and circuses, it gives them something to look forward to. Yeah, right. And there probably is a little Darwinian, like the the
1: people most the people that want the purge the most are going to be the ones out there, you know, mixing it up. So you're almost like the way uh, early man selected the the tamest, um, most eaten, malleable wolf mm-hmm. uh, pup to be the family dog, and the rest got you know their necks broke. Uh, you know, all the people that are like super into the purge are out there purging each other, and the people that are like meek and more compliant are holding themselves up in lighthouses and hiding and what, and then like so you're kind of br- you're kind of eugenically shaping a population too.
0: Yeah, I feel like you're taking out the the middle class of the 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 violence middle class, like the extremely <laughs> violent people right. will be out there killing. Uh, mm. the the extremely nonviolent people will be hidden away into their little squirrel holes right and then the middle class is going to be eliminated the vast middle class of murderers right. gutted by this the people who are like policy. oh i might get into that this year i don't know <laughs> we've been yeah. hiding in this lighthouse for so long maybe it'd be fun yeah um there's also some
1: commentary about writing or shitty writing, I should say. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, the script. That the, speaking of light,
1: holding up in lighthouses, this guy's like, I get a kick out of this when you get people. <laughs> you, you get a lot of clearly talented writers, and they're like, "What are some of the worst spec scripts we've seen?" Or what are some of the, um, and a lot of this stuff, the dialogue about, uh, you know, um, I don't need a new friend. Well, maybe the only friend I need is do you need or want? Yeah, I've this one been-
0: and need thing. It's, I loved it.
1: It's 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 really funny because um, that's a bad writer thinking they're clever. And not only that, but like everything about it is like the whole like mm-hmm. there's this the you know the guy writing a female protagonist who's like hyper aware of how sexy she is, except for he oh. also specifically says he's she's not. And the whole three weeks later, it's like every bad kind of story script, and you know Morty's reactions to it are super. I I really dug that. And then the whole the other thing is like not only is he a terrible writer, but he's insanely fragile about it. Uh-huh. He comes out and says, hey, you know, I'm a big boy. I can take it. You know, like, I want to improve my writing. And Morty <laughs> gives him some, like, pretty mild criticisms at, you know, as he as he rightly points out, he's, he was, he's forced into it. And the guy fucking goes off and wants to... And that's the other thing. Any other night, throwing someone out of your house because they didn't like your stupid script is like, okay, whatever. But, mm-hmm. like, on the purge night, it's a super, di- your, super dick move.
0: Yeah, it's almost a death sentence.
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'd I like that. And I, I wonder just, they, that that lighthouse guy was so particular, and I don't think they talked about his design in the. But I wondered if he was like supposed to be based on somebody.
0: They they say in the commentary, this, this is not a spoiler necessarily, that he looks a lot like Roger Ebert, or he reminds these people of Roger Ebert, and I guess I'm seeing that. Yeah, but I so someone floated that as an idea, and the other people like, oh
1: yeah, so which makes me think that like maybe that was just but why would you just one person's yeah because i don't know i don't think roger ebert's a hack writer no no
0: no oh, well i think he only wrote one movie and well, it was just... not good right right um but... so maybe he is maybe he's a great critic but a terrible writer it's true it's true um but it leads to probably my no, definitely my favorite line of the episode which is when rick Mor- uh, morty pushes him down the stairs and he shouts down <laughs> at him you want me to cut to three weeks earlier when, <laughs> when you were alive? alive yeah that's pretty it's great that's pretty funny. Um,
1: what did you think about the to- uh, Tony Tony Tony's feel? It feels oh. good as a murder spree uh-huh. background music. I loved it. It's so out of the box that like it made perfect sense. Um, I, I it 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 felt right, and it, it's like this upbeat poppy thing about like going along, you know, going the flow, and things feeling good, and it's mm-hmm. set to just like insane violence. dancing in the pools of blood, dancing in
0: pools of blood, incredible.
1: What's that? Uh, uh, Peter Jackson
0: movie, Dead, Dead Alive, Dead Alive, Brain Dead, and whichever. Yeah, like you're when they from, were sliding
1: yeah. around in the blood, dancing. It gave me a little bit of that uh-huh. Brain Dead feels. The the lawnmower, the aftermath of the lawnmower fight.
0: I mean, maybe it's my repressed rage uh, over the exact issues that this episode brings up uh, that makes me love that. But yeah, I loved it. <laughs> I felt like all these killings are justified just because they're the rich upper class uh, having these poor, poor citizens live in shitty conditions for yeah. their own. Uh, for their own reasons, yeah. In a
1: fictitious, in a fictitious world where, like, the not only is there, there's a kind of like the secondhand exploitation of the underclasses, mm-hmm. but they're literally
0: pitting them against each other in some kind of murderous rage. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I would it's, say it's it is a shorthand for exactly what is going on in our society. So you don't have to do much, right? You have to tell me these people are rich, they're fucking over the poor, and I get my pitchfork out. Yeah, knowingly, especially when it's knowingly. Yeah, I, I like Rick's.
1: Yeah. I, I liked Rick's. Uh, Line When he comes in there with arthritia, and he's like, uh, so apparently you guys have been lording over these people, manipulating them and killing them, and you're completely immune to any of the consequences of these actions, kind of like the social-political equivalent of wearing a suit of power armor. Mm-hmm. So now the scales have been evened, and they get purged! <laughs> they get the shit purged. They sure do. So that's and then so but there's also commentary towards the other way at the end of the episode
0: i don't know but it's 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 their own system right they've set up this system where Mm. the the murder is legal for this one night Mm -hmm. now somebody happens to have the upper hand on them who's not playing their fucking game comes in plays their game and Mm. uses it against them and i i think that is just the sweetest of justice
1: I, i i did like the 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 kind of the coda to that arc which is it's pretty fucking hard to create an uh, uh, an economic system that works,
0: right? Rick says, "Hey, everybody should just uh, get what they need." Yeah, sounds like a good rule. See you guys. Right, and then, and then like <laughs> they go from zero to back to the purge in
1: like a sixty second conversation, and yeah. all the internal logic is kind of like, "Well, I've got food, uh-huh. but why should I give it to you people? Well, you can make more. Why would I want to do that?" And you know who keeps track of what extra work, and you just invent. Yeah, you've you've gone. You you. It's so funny to watch him evolve from like barter to capitalism in thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, it's really easy to point out the flaw. Just, you and know, this,
0: specialization is a good thing. Like this guy should be making food if he's good at it. Make food all fucking day, right? Let somebody right. else take care of your kids,
1: right? I, although I don't like the looks of the guy who's volunteering to watch the kids. Maybe No, I don't he, either. He, he, he it looks like uh, I don't know. I, I, I can't read fox he's had a hard people life, faces. Though. But uh that guy's looks, had a hard
0: life. He's, he's poor. He's living under the thumb of a rich class who doesn't give a fuck about him. Right. He's had a rough survived life. Thirty
1: years of purging. Like that's 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 going yeah. to be some scars.
0: That's true. Every single one of those old people has survived a long damn time. Do you want to talk about the B plot, such as it is? Okay which is interesting because it goes from i think this is a brilliant B plot okay and i but only for one specific reason why is that because it's all one big joke and you don't get the joke until the tag mm. until the the outro of this episode well cuz you're you're like who is this taddy mason why does he give a shit about taddy mason why is he asking right. about this he needs to borrow money from summer oh boy that's pathetic you don't realize that he's spending that money to call Taddy Mason until the tag, which to me brings it all together and makes it worth the the effort.
1: To me, that's like the third stage of the joke rocket. The first stage is just like you've got this dad who's unemployed; he's feeling insecure about everything, mm-hmm. and he sees his daughter, and he's just like, "I want to reconnect with her. I'm going to spend this time now that I'm unemployed. We can rekindle this father daughter relationship that might have gone to seed." And she's a teenager; she wants nothing to do with it, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's like that's kind of pathetic, but that's something that like you know parents kind of go through. I've got a kid mm-hmm. turn into a teenager, and I you know the disconnection is kind of painful. Um, but then when you find out that what he's really doing is hitting up, hitting him, her up for money, yeah, and you you surmise that it's like because he's too afraid to ask Beth for something or whatever, and like Summer, and this was after they had this heart to heart where Summer does the labor of like sitting down, like okay, Dad, what the fuck is your deal? Because you're being you're being a real dip ass, as this episode would put. And, you know, they have this heartwarming like, oh, you just seems like yesterday when you're so little and now you don't even need me. And she's like, oh, and then he hits her up for money. And she's like, oh, Jesus Christ, incredibly pathetic that. So that's the (laughs) second stage. Third (laughs) stage is when you find out that, like, it's all related. to So he's so pathetic that he's actually paying hundreds of dollars a month for some fake person to talk to him. Yep. Oh, my God, Jerry, (laughs) Jerry, find a men's support group and start going. (laughs) Holy shit, Jerry. This is his low. I mean, this is it's definitely like his when low. he says, "Well, Jerry, this." Is, it's so funny because I feel like the people that do shit like this lack the self awareness to like have that moment. That's that's why Jerry is such a great character because I don't know that Jerry's co- internal contradictions would actually hold together in one human being. Hmm. Like a person that's so obtuse to manipulate his daughter to get money to fund some kind of phone addiction would not have a second where like, "Oh, this is what rock bottom feels like." After the daughter turns him down. But maybe, maybe I go looking for the next stage of the plan. Maybe I just thankfully. Yeah, he would just roll on to the next one. Um, Maybe I just haven't met a person as 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 (laughs) unique as Jerry yet. I will say I don't I've never met anyone as pathetic as Jerry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's he's 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 weaponized patheticness to to be funny.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I just lost my shit when I found out that Taddy Mason is the name of the fake friend. And he's been spending and, all of his his fucking money, and he's got to beg because of that. And yeah, plus the I the, the, the actual execution of the gag where he's just like,
1: <laughs> as this whole commercial plays to its almost entirety, he's frantically trying to figure out a way to shut it off. <laughs> right? Like, there's three seconds into this ad, Jerry, it's over. Yep. it's over. It's time to come clean. But he's just still like trying to yank on HDMI cables and fumble with remotes. Uh, pretty great. I guess the final point. Uh, we've seen Morty have these kind of like episode long flings with people, you know, the whole episode he's trying and that it's, it's endearing and off-putting in equal measure. He's trying to make it with this girl who is just, you know, obviously traumatized. She's a somewhat thing of a political freedom fighter. And the only thing he can think about is try to find common cause with her over the purge. Mm -hmm. It'd be like trying to like, you know, um bond with a Rwandan about, you know, the whole Hutu Tutsi kind of thing. Like, hey, that about that. Wasn't it crazy crazy when the crates of shit like it's fucked up, right? Yeah. And then sure. at the, but then at the end, like he, you know, Rick's like, hey, we're about ready to leave the leave the planet, shoot your shot. And he does and she does the whole like, oh I've got a boyfriend. And I there's something to that like back and forth where he's like, hey, you know, I kind of took it right. Oh, okay the first time. Now it feels like you're kind of rubbing it in and but she can't like that that social awkwardness of like you know when when do you break off a conversation with a stranger especially with all of the loading that they've kind of saved her life and she kind of lied to them and (laughs) i like how rick handled it where she's like hey rick thanks you're such a great guy i couldn't have done he's like yeah fuck you you still shot my liver (laughs) (laughs) sure the hardest working liver in the galaxy no less
0: yeah good line (laughs)
1: Jim, are you ready to plot to the future? I am. This is where, of course, we open up a portal to Dimension BM 77 to access behind-the-scenes details, trivia, and spoilers for future episodes. If that sounds like something you don't want, then get out. Get your fucking lighter fluid, the sun setting, purging
0: everyone that's spoiler-phobes right now. I, I did love that they they come to the planet to get windshield wiper fluid. Yeah. And then when the purge starts, the blood sprays on their <laughs> windshield and they use the fluid to wipe it off. Of course. It's so that's nice. Pretty good. It's so yeah. nice.
1: I actually ran out of, uh, I just recently came back from a trip to Florida and I ran out of windshield wiper fluid somewhere between. So you purged Florida. half of Florida. <laughs> I did. Like there's a, uh, McDonough, Georgia is just a trail of blood. Uh, but yeah, you uh, that shit's nice to have.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just nice to have. You got to have it. Um, I got some trivia for you. Okay. From the commentary, this was supposed to be a the first part of the two-part finale. Well, it was going to be a two-part finale, um, but they had a lot of trouble just breaking the story, breaking the the plot. They couldn't quite make it work, and then they remembered, hey, we got this old idea that we've been kicking around about the Purge. Let's see if we can polish that turd up. Hmm. Uh, and apparently Dan just sat down and wrote this fucking Half this episode in like twenty minutes.
1: Yeah, and there's like, it's like it's they made it seem like he also then took the like typewriter and like flipped it over and like <laughs> right. All right, I think I've written half the episode. You fucking yeah. monkeys, figure out the rest, <laughs> uh, which I'm sure is not how it went down, or maybe it is. That's actually kind of funnier. Um, but yeah, that you can just like stream of consciousness like write all this stuff out and have it be mm-hmm. uh, have it be solid gold.
0: Yeah, and they said they they didn't really change much from from what he wrote right first draft so. right no
1: and it doesn't that's the thing is like that kind of the first time i heard that it kind of shocked me because this feels like a f- fully formed episode that mm-hmm. like you know has got all the time and cared the rest but this is kind of like a desperation because they ran out of time to write the next episode which as you know uh shit they had what two years to to, to noodle on that because of the the way the schedule kind of worked out and turns out they need it because it's uh pr- pretty amazing um i thought there's something interesting that i'm probably going to blow out into something that nobody cares about. But I found out that the rich people's hangout was based on Hearst Castle, which was built and designed by William Randolph Hearst, the famous um, uh, newspaper magnate who's the son of, like, one of the robber barons of the previous generation, hugely wealthy person. Hmm. Um, but he's got this, like, it was like a some kind of, like, a 10,000-acre ranch I really encourage people to go check out the Wikipedia article on Hearst Castle because it's like a mini version of some of the socioeconomic things that they talk about in this episode because you've got this guy who wanted to build this like castle that would shame the pharaohs of old and it's on like 10,000 a 10,000 acre ranch. It's got like its primary pool is three hundred and forty thousand gallons, and it's built and it looks like this Roman kind of villa with all these statues and nice. uh. And it's not just the opulence and and the design and the you know like the fact that this was his like, it just just the summer home for his family. And there's like the the smallest guest house is like fifteen thousand square feet. It's <laughs> insane. It's insane. The whole thing is insane. Um, but also. He got this vast collection of priceless artworks. Like he's got original, like uh, he's he's got Egyptian artwork from like thirty five hundred years ago. He's got Greco Roman statuary. He's got all these famous paintings and stuff. And it's like he's kind of like hoarding all this stuff together. Then he dies, and the family flips it to the state of California, and now it's open to the public, and it's kind of like this mini museum.
0: Hmm. All um, ten
1: thousand acres, or just the whole like the whole compound? Yeah, Damn. the whole the whole place. Um, And there's also kind of this interesting, like, so how do we feel about this guy? Because in his own time, he's pretty uh, 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 critically viewed. Citizen Kane was widely seen as an allegory to his life, and he spent a lot of... Time and money to try to suppress it. To like try to keep it from being seen. To try to keep it from being produced. How'd that he work forbid out for anyone, you? <laughs> he forbid anybody from his newspapers to cover it. All that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. I, I don't know. Like, as I was reading this, I'm like, it's like this. I kept on flip flopping between this is like super gross consumerism to like, I don't know. Did he actually preserve some shit? He also like um, this was designed by Julia Morgan, who was like one of the very first female. Uh, <laughs> architects uh, in a very like back then male dominated you know it's it's one of those things it's like i kept kind of like yay boo yay kind (laughs) of hey it sounds like the real world a little yay a little boo yeah but i'm uh i can't i it's now like on my list of things to do if when whenever i get back to california because it just seems like it's one of those things where it's like no no collective would have ever built something like this. It's singular vision and a singular, probably immoral use of resources, because there's also lots of stuff <laughs> in this article about how um he didn't just use his personal money, but he was famous for commingling like his company funds for personal purposes and all that stuff.
0: Yeah. Um but are we collectively glad that it did get built and it exists? I don't know, because I, I know that a lot of like old castles and stuff in England uh and you know Scotland Wales, all all the countries over there in Britain um they take a lot of resources to maintain yeah and so flipping the keys of this massive castle laden ranch over to California seems like more of a burden than a boon right unless they've really put it to good use it's like okay we have to spend 10 million dollars a year you know just keeping up the facilities yeah is it is it bringing that much in?
1: Well, it's obviously that's like the argument for like the royal family in, in England, right? It's like, well, the uh-huh. tourism, you know, pay they like they bring sure. in so much money in to tourism. It's like, but do they? Because they, yeah, to your point, I part of the Wikipedia article is how this three hundred and sixty thousand gallon pool was like empty for 10 years because it leaked so bad right and, and didn't it, it cost so much it money it. to keep it filled and the evaporation and i guess they spent money to fix it but like that probably wasn't cheap no to fix a hundred year old fucking giant recirculating swimming pool uh right yeah little 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 uh socio-political economic uh power armor in in castle form there uh, there was also kind of two celebrity cameos I was aware of. First off is the first person that uh, Rick and Morty meets that kind of explains them the purge is actually Rob Schraub. longtime time okay. collaborator with Dan Harmon mm-hmm. um, directed, I think, the last season of the Mr. Science Theater 3000 revival. He also hmm. directed a lot of uh, the community episodes. Um, and he's just a really fascinating, funny guy. Uh, and then, according to Justin Roiland, Chelsea Kane from Fish Hooks, an animated Disney uh, series, uh, voiced Ar- Arthasha. So, if you're like a big fan of Disney, you know Justin Roiland's animated friends. There's there's a little tidbit for you.
0: Hmm, okay, uh, there's one other thing I want to talk about. Um, they say in this commentary, the Morty snaps because you know after everything he's seen and done, it's been it's kind of too much for him in that moment. Um, and it makes it started getting me thinking down the line of maybe something similar happened to rick because all of this happened because morty's gone through all these interdimensional portals and he's seen so much crazy shit could the same thing have happened to rick when you know he invents the portal gun and he starts taking these tours into other dimensions Mm -hmm. seeing the shit that's out there and just realizing oh yeah no none of this stuff that i thought was important when i was a mere mortal you know living my my tiny little life actually matters and then rick kind of just goes over the edge of nihilism yeah i mean i think if we're honest with ourselves
1: knowledge of the multiverse and easy access to an infinite versions of ourselves. Like there's a couple of reactions. You could be like super narcissistic, like Jerry and Beth were that one episode where they're just obsessed with how their other lives are doing and if they're doing better than them. Yeah. Or the other is like, you know, uh, it's, it's between narcissism and nihilism, which is what kind of Rick has gone on the, I guess he's actually a nice mix of both, but mm.
0: the, it's where like,
1: just the fact that there's a infinite versions of you. Yeah. Like the fact that, we're living on a planet with 7 billion people and like, why is any, like we're all insignificant. In the co- That's already a mind fuck enough, but to know mm-hmm. that like not only that, but there's infinite combinations and here's a piece of technology that allows you to access any of them. Yeah. yeah. You could almost
0: become desensitized to, uh, you know, the, the typical, I, the things that we think of as important in life, like you said, you know, with watching videos, of people dying or whatever, mm-hmm. like you just become accustomed to thinking in a very different way And it changes your thought patterns.
1: Yeah. And it's like there's uh, like the first season of Jessica Jones, the Netflix superhero series, kind of plays with that trope about, you know, you've got this extremely powerful telepath that Mm -hmm. can make irresistible suggestions to people. And even if you weren't born a supervillain, if you have that power, it's like... How the hell do you avoid becoming a supervillain?
0: Or how do you tell yourself that doing the thing you're built to do is immoral?
1: Yeah. Or especially since it seems like it was was completely unconscious or subconscious. Like it's not even he. It's kind of like if you were growing up and you had to, like, God, I wish my mom gave me a pop, would let me have this popsicle. And she's like, you know what? Have this popsicle. Uh Like that's, there's no way. There's no way any five, you give a five year old that ability and they turn out normal. (laughs)
0: yeah for sure
1: yeah um it almost makes you wonder how like charles xavier uh something i was pondering with uh, some of my co-hosts on the legion podcast i did it's like how the fuck does a guy like charles xavier the world's most powerful telepath that can like freeze an entire room or make people move around like puppets like how the hell does he turn out so virtuous
0: he must have had some amazing damn parents
1: (laughs) yeah yeah. Really good parents. And his stepbrother's the juggernaut, who's a total asshole. So what, are you, what
0: yeah. do you do? They well they have
1: to focus on one kid to be that good a parent. That's <laughs> true. That's true. Maybe Charles used his mind powers to make sure he got all of the lion shared, the family's oh, love God. and attention.
0: All <laughs> right. That's why it turned out so good. Got a new comic pitch for you, Dark Charles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get on that what if Marvel writers. Tickle Me This is distributed by Bald Move in association with Starburns Audio. It's produced by Jason Smith and Scott Porch from Starburns and myself, Mineron from Bald Move. All music featured on this podcast is from the Rick and Morty soundtrack, available from Sub Pop Records. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To discover the many other great shows we do, please check out baldmove.com and starburns.audio. If you appreciate what we do and want to directly support us, consider joining our club at club.baldmove.com to get access to exclusive bonus audio and video features. Finally, you can follow us on your favorite social media, at Bald Move. See you next time. I want you out of here. You're a petty person and you're insecure.